Welcome to WNHHFM 103.5. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, inviting you to be in community with us about conversations and ideas that matter with people making a difference. Uh, today, our guest, Carolyn Smith, so great to have you. Really, really great to be here. Um, how are you doing? How is your head? How is your heart? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, first of all, I feel really grateful. I'm really glad that you invited me today. I love talking to you. I love talking to you about ideas. I love talking to you about the city and state that we love. Um, so I feel an abundance of gratitude for being here. And yeah, I feel I feel really happy. You know, I had even just on the walk over here was sort of a classic kind of day and experience that I get to have. You know, I went to G Cafe and got green iced tea in this water bottle that my friend Josh Cantor gave to me, um, which I get green iced tea off often. Um, as I was walking, I ran into Jimmy, uh, who is the amazing entrepreneur who sells hot dogs in front of City Hall, has been doing that for 20 plus years, and got to walk with him for a little bit and then got to bike here down Orange Street. And I get to do, I get to do things like that every day and get to see people that I really care about every single day. And yeah, so it's been a good day so far. And I feel privileged that I get to have those kinds of moments all the time. No, I, no that is beautiful. I, uh, I uh, went to Ashley's ice cream the other day. And, <laughs> What's your flavor? Uh, no, mint chocolate chip. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But I, <laughs> right. There are people who love mint. Yeah. Uh, and then there are those people who, you know, don't know what they're talking yeah. about, but that's unfortunate, right? They have a lifetime to learn. Uh, uh, what? Well, I, I guess the people have to know now what yeah. your favorite ice cream is. Well, what immediately this made me think about was, um, was um, uh, Elena's on Orange, um, which is fairly new. I think Elena's opened mm -hmm. up in the last year. Um, and obviously her ice cream is amazing. It's soft serve. Um, but one point I wanted to bring up, which is less about a flavor, but I feel like as I've, as I've matured, um, I have enjoyed rainbow sprinkles more, um, as I've gotten older. Like when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't really, I, you know, sprinkles didn't really occur to me, but now as I'm older, I'm like, these are, these are incredible. They really add so much texture and flavor to an ice cream experience. So I would say I have, I have, I have ideas about flavor, but I think like a vanilla, um, soft serve with rainbow sprinkles from Elena's with gummy bears is a real go-to in a cup, which I know, you know, it's controversial, but in a cup, it's the go-to. I, I was going to ask her hot take, but seeing that you're already given us. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <yeah. laughs> so you have, you, I, I've generally known you as the collab mm. person yeah. for a second. In my mind, you were the C-click fix person. Mm. <laughs> so how, you know, how did you go from collab to now? Yeah you know, running for office. Well, like, yeah. give us the story of now and then. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so kind of zooming out a bit, I have now been in New Haven for 13 years. I wow. grew up originally in Kentucky in the South um, and then came to school at Yale as an undergrad in 2010 and graduated 2014. Um, 
And a large part of the heartbeat of my experience while at school was falling in love with the city of New Haven for so many different reasons that you and I have talked about that we could talk about for a long time. It's history, it's fight, it's the the people that have poured into me and continue to pour into me. Um, it's I feel very clear that one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me is finding a home here in the city. And I got lucky enough to be able to stay here after I graduated. And um, I think I would say that a lot of my work since graduation um, has focused around inclusive economic development. How do we really build an economy in the city that we love that really works for everybody? Um, and how do we look at the net of resources in, um, in our city and you know, try to see where the gaps are and fill in infrastructure in those gaps? And that's what Collab was and is. Uh, which is, for those that don't know, a, a program that supports local entrepreneurs here, tries to reduce barriers to entrepreneurship for residents. And uh, Margaret Lee, my co-founder, and I started that in 2016, 2017 or so, um, built that up over five years. Um, and the real kind of underlying philosophy was that there is incredible talent in this city. There are entrepreneurs in every single neighborhood. This is a city of entrepreneurs. It, it has been, it always will be. Um, and Collab's goal was to um, support those, you know, incredible ideas and help nurture them into organizations and businesses that could pour into their neighborhoods. Um, so did that for five years and then we transitioned out. So we passed the torch to an incredible new executive director, Don Leakes, um, which was a really special process. It was about a year and a half long process of the transition. Um, um, but something that Margaret and I took really seriously. Um, and that our board and we had so much support took really seriously to make sure that we stewarded the transition really well. And we got so lucky in our new executive director, Dawn. She's amazing. Um, and now it's a very humbling experience to, you know, I, you know, to have, a, you know, fully transitioned out of collab and, and to see it doing its work and doing its thing and having events and to, to, to see it run, you know, completely without its original leadership, I think is I think is a, is a really humbling and special experience. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm running now for Alder for so many different reasons, but it, it, it's, it's sort of the same through line of a fundamental belief in the city and what's possible here um, and a, a real commitment to, to service. Um, mm. I would say the ways that the last thing I'll say is the way that bridges with collab specifically is, I think something that I noticed um, in working with amazing entrepreneurs across the city is that some of the things that stood in the way of them starting a business were certainly um, things that Collab provides, like support with business plans or um, you know that really intensive one-on-one um, -on -one coaching, or also things that were more citywide, things like um, lack of access to housing, healthcare, um, the ability to have a good quality job that allowed to save money in the bank accounts to you know, afford the risk to take, the risk that is entrepreneurship. And so I think from a policy perspective, thinking about the work of an older, the work of elected official, it's thinking about in some ways the same question around how do we build an economy works for everyone, but through the lens of sort of different questions or different avenues to create that net of support for the people that we love and the neighbors that we love. No, that, that, uh, that is a thoughtful answer. <laughs> the, uh, so I, 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 you know, yeah. everyone who runs um, 
has big questions to grapple with. Mm -hmm. I think right now, a lot of people are wondering how Mm -hmm. they do day-to-day life and Mm -hmm. afford rent and afford food. And so from that entrepreneurial lens, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the main issues for you and, and what are some of your creative solutions or thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great question. I would say that what's interesting about entrepreneurship to me is that, you know, if we want a sort of thriving local small business economy, in order to do that, it intersects with a myriad of different issues, some of the issues that you just you just named right now. And so when I think about, okay, how do we support small businesses here? Part of it is some concrete investments that, you know, I, I one thing, one reason why I love um, Ward 9 is because it's this bridge ward that connects East Rock and Fairhaven. It's about two thirds East Rock, one third Fairhaven with Upper State Street as this business spine that connects the two neighborhoods. And so there's lots of ideas around how do we invest in, you know, uh, businesses or business districts like Upper State Street um, to think about what it was its future in the next five to 10 years and how do we create kind of a community and a collective process in deciding what that looks like, whether it's, you know, helping with um, things like Ward 9 restaurant has amazing outdoor seating. How do we support businesses in more outdoor seating or help, you know, rejuvenate their storefront spaces? Or if there are empty storefronts, how do we support local entrepreneurs um, to kind of create a pathway for them to be able to have access to those storefronts? There's a myriad of different, different issues. Um, but also, I think I, I, what's always been really important to me, um, both in club and I think now, is just the ways in which being able to create a thriving small business economy is really related to broader issues around generating quality jobs for residents, making sure that it's a safe and welcoming city, even questions around sustainability and environmental justice and reducing energy efficiency costs um, for residents. All of those allow an individual to take that step um, that is entrepreneurship because it is a risky venture. And so creating that sort of stability, those, you know, pillars of support of of housing, of a quality job, um, actually a, allow a family or an individual to, 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 to take that step, um, which I think is really exciting. Um, and there's a myriad of different things we could talk about there, but yeah. No, so I, I guess you, if in your, if you were older of the day, right? Cause no emperors, no kings, <laughs> right? But if you, if I had a magic yeah, wand, right, yeah. and we made you that person, um, what what would be that thing that you would change or yeah. try to change? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the way that I've been thinking about some of the focus areas to me are sort of the intersection of what I feel like I could bring experience and voice to and what I think are some of the most urgent opportunities and, you know, areas where there's a ton of opportunity. Um, so some, there, there are about three issues that I bring up really often that I think lie at that intersection. One is around economic justice and, um, and economic development. I think specifically a couple ideas that are really burning for me are thinking about the next 10 years of our economy and how are we building pieces and bridges in place to make sure that all residents benefit from that. And so, for example, I think right now, 
the city's in a place where we're investing a lot in certain industries like biotech and healthcare and even cl climate technology is on the horizon as well. And so I think something that's really important to me is as we're investing in those industries as a city, I believe we can have a future where people from every single neighborhood are proud that biotech is an industry here. Mm. And that requires work and that requires investment and efforts. I think specifically creating bridges between those industries and residents such that residents here can have quality jobs in those industries. Um, so that's something that I think about and I think would be really exciting to invest in and really imperative for us as a city to invest in. I also think about, as it relates to economic development, things like, um, you know, and this is specifically, I think, in the how do we support local small businesses here in procurement and sourcing. I think about some of the, mm. you know, institutions in our city that spend a lot. Um, and how do we make sure that those expenditures are uh, focused on local businesses that are here that provide incredible services as incredible goods? Um, and so I think about thinking about that sort of system-wide or city-wide who are the institutions that are purchasing right now? You know, like Yale, for example, just is, is investing in their diversity supplier program right now. In fact, one of Collab's graduates, Gorilla Lemonade, is now um, part is now selling at Yale, which is really exciting because that keeps resources here and invests in local businesses here. And I'm excited to see a lot more of that. And then the last thing, the last one I'll just mention, I know you asked for one, and I'm giving you three, um, is around environmental justice. Like, I think we are in such an exciting moment in the city of both urgency and opportunity. Like, I think about the fact that we have someone like Steve Winter in the role that he's in at the city, um, focusing on climate and sustainability in New Haven. I think about how we have had this grassroots movement of high school students that have been fighting for climate justice for years now. And environmental justice is on the Board of Alders legislative agenda. And so I think we're, we're in this moment where there's, there's a lot of people power and there's a lot of will. And I think it'll be really exciting. I, I'd be really excited to think about, okay, what needs to be true in order for us to become net zero by 2030? I, I think one of my wave the magic wand things that would get really, me really excited is, you know, transportation is the number one contributor to greenhouse gas emissions in Connecticut, but in New Haven, it's buildings. And so thinking about how do we retrofit homes and buildings to both reduce uh, energy costs for residents, but also uh, contribute to more of a net zero economy and a net zero landscape for a city, I think is incredibly exciting. I think there's a lot that we can do, both on a ward level and also a citywide level. For those of y'all who are just joining us, you're listening to WNHH FM 103.5. I'm your host, Justin Farmer. Um, we are here with Carolyn Smith talking about, uh, you know, what it would look like to have a net zero uh, New Haven. Um, I, I guess off of that, you know, we recently, the wildfires in Canada have alarmed us mm -hmm. to the fact of air quality and the climate emergency. You know, what are your general feelings you know, coming into this because you have the practical things that we mm -hmm. can do, but then you have these uh, these once in a lifetime storms or yeah. these incidents that seem to increase more and more and mm -hmm. the frequency and intensity more and more. So, how are you feeling coming into this? Do you feel a sense of urgency? Do you feel hopeful? Do you mm -hmm. feel dreadful? How? How are you feeling about all of this? Yeah, it's a great question. I'd be really, I really, I'd be curious your answer to this as well. I think I feel 
about quite a few issues, but specifically this one, a simultaneously, simultaneous sense of urgency and opportunity. Um, and the reason why I think the primary driver of the urgency is all the things that you just mentioned. The primary driver of the sense of opportunity is people. I think that we, a fundamental belief that I have um, is, and I see it every single day, is just the amount of creativity, lived experience, and expertise and wisdom um, that I see in my neighbors, that I see across the city. Um, and so I think we have the people will and the, the energy to be able to be like a model city that's thinking about not only reducing emissions as a city, but also building a green economy such that the jobs that are created as a result of these investments go to New Haven residents. Um, and so that that's what really drives that sense of opportunity. Like I think we have, I think we have what it takes. Um, and, and, and and some of those elements of hope are the things that I mentioned. Like we, we have an incredible steward and leadership like Steve. We have amazing high school students that are on it that have been thinking about this for a long time. Um, and I think we're in a moment where the tide is turning, where there is excitement from on a number of different levels around thinking about this issue from a variety of different perspectives. Um, and I think when I think from a legislative perspective, I get excited about how do we invest in policies that both reduce emissions, um, but also uh, you know, sort of mitigate impact and also invest and prioritize communities that have historically um, been negatively impacted by um, the negative impacts of climate change. Um, and so things like programs like I Heart New Haven, I Heart My Home New Haven, I think are really amazing for being this sort of consultative service out of neighborhood housing services um, that supports um, residents, homeowners, landlords to be able to reduce energy efficiency costs and also are really being attentive to making sure that those resources are distributed across neighborhoods, um, which I think more programs like that, investing in more programs like, like that, I think is really exciting and what gives me that sense of opportunity amidst that sense of urgency over the next 10 to 15 years. Do you think the city should be playing more of a role in terms of development? Like, I, I've, you know, anytime I read the paper, it seems like there's a new apartment building going up and, and sharing the factoid that you just did about mm -hmm. buildings being, like, do you think the city should be legislating more about green infrastructure being built? Or do you feel that it more has to be a cultural shift, change amongst the community? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, um both those feel really related to each other yeah yeah i mean i'd be curious your thoughts too but yes i think they're and i, and I think the what i get the sense is that i think the board um and i think people are already thinking about this but you know when when there's new construction when there's development how are we creating a a series of criteria which again i think the city already has but um a series of criteria that's important to us as a city in new development and i think ensuring that our climate goals, our sustainability goals are a huge pillar of that makes makes so much sense. Um, um, whether it's in how energy is being utilized in the building to, to your point, other kinds of green infrastructure, uh, I think is really exciting. Um, and yeah, I think if, I think that being added is sort of a, um, an overall vision for new development over the next 
upcoming decades, I think makes a lot of sense. Now, I, I, I often wonder, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we see bodies like LCI work to say there's issues in terms of like mold and inspection, but, you know, having more of a citywide energy audit to say like, hey, yeah, yeah. What does the envelope of yes. this building look like? And, yes. and imagining different ways to. Yes. I don't like killing birds, so I always said, say catch multiple fish with one net, right? I think that's such a good idea and a good instinct and point, kind of getting a sense of, and I'd be curious, you know, I, I kind of wish Steve was here uh, to get a sense of, because uh, I think he's excited about this kind of stuff, just where are we at, that idea of an audit, sort of where are we at right now in terms of meeting our climate goals mm. um, from a number of different levels and a number of different departmental levels, I think would be, that makes a ton of sense to me. Now that, 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 uh, yeah, I, I, uh, so in general, mm-hmm. you feel, to, to contextualize, you feel that it's a both and, it's not mm. really an either or. Mm. Of the, the either or in terms of the urgency and opportunity yeah. question. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I think it's definitely, I think it's definitely a both, um, I mean, I think my general orientation as a person is always one of, of hope um, <laughs> because the alternative, I, hope is the thing that galvanizes me co- to continue to take steps forward. Um, at the same time, you know, even though that's my kind of natural inclination as a person, I, I, I genuinely also see and believe that there's a, a lot of opportunity. And again, that always hinges on, on people. I think about someone like Kai, a day hey. who is absolutely wonderful. She was the chair of the New Haven Climate Emergency Task Force and is thinking, you know, you know, in, in a lot of detail about transportation, about buildings, and um, brings so much expertise to the table and and also real work with her work with the Broadway Street Bicycle Co-op and Radical Adventure Writers. Someone like someone like her um, and her wisdom and energy, that 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 kind of energy gets me really, really excited and and overall, and maybe this is the last thing I'll say, I think kind of going back to the, um, you know, how I feel about the campaign itself, I think that's one of the things that excites me the most about the campaign is how can campaigns be an opportunity to bring as many people involved in the process as possible? Um, so many of my friends, neighbors who I think have so many amazing ideas and how can this campaign be an opportunity of kind of coming together to inform policy ideas to meet more of our neighbors to build mm-hmm. community as a role, as a result of the campaign um i think it's me really excited and that's what inspires me about i think you know the way that you approach your work and the way that you approach your campaigns is it just feels like so many people are a part of it and touch it and as a result lead their cam- campaign lead your campaign experience and you can push back if this doesn't feel right but this is as an observer what i see people leave your campaign experience or working with you having built capacity knowing more what a council member does, um, knowing more how decisions get made as a city. Um, I, I know you just posted on Twitter today the ways in which you sort of helped, you know, just mentor and support other, you know, council members. And I think that's, a, I think that's you know, there's many different parts of the job description, if you will, of these roles, but that's, that's one that I see you um, really investing in that inspires me and I would love to do that even just from a campaign mm. capacity. No, I, 
I, I, I shouted out uh, Miriam Khan yeah. and Abdul Zmanu, uh, uh, two wonderful young thought leaders uh, in, in our community. Um, uh, thank you for highlighting that. Yeah. I, uh, I, a, a hot topic issue mm-hmm. is, is transportation. Mm-hmm. And so I know that the whole red light cameras, right, has mm-hmm. been a big, discussion mm-hmm. and and would love to as an avid bicyclist love to hear your thoughts and opinions mm-hmm. yeah broadly on transportation i think there's so much to talk about specifically with red light cameras um, i mean it, it it passed on a state level um through vision zero and now cities get to decide you know how how they want to implement it how and if they want to implement it i think what i've been really impressed by roland lamar um, with his level of um, intention in designing the policy um, to mitigate any potential harm or negative impact um, or his, his attempts to do so. Um, I think what excites me about it is the idea of being able to reduce um, or sort of enforce traffic violations without the need of police personnel present. Um, and I think that feels valuable. I think about, you know, Willow and Nickel. Um, recently, we gathered with a few neighbors on Nickel Street after a, a really fatal crash um, that was unrelated to traffic, actually traffic design. Um, I mean, he rest in peace. Um, but it sort of beget a conversation about speed on Nickel and specifically this intersection of Willow and Nickel. I'm not sure if we'll ever have a, a street, a traffic light there. Like, we're still talking about what could be possible there to... Um, mm reduce traffic, but I think about the ways in which a red light camera there um, could create opportunities to slow down speed without a police officer needing to be there. Um, more broadly on transportation, I think there's so much to talk about. I think another you know aspect that's been talked about a lot is investments in public transportation. <laughs> you know, um, our bus system, investing more in our bus system, um, I, I believe in a world in which we can invest in public transportation and our bus system such that we can keep it affordable, make it um, uh, fare-free, and also um, increase efficiency of service. Um, I feel like we shouldn't have to choose. I feel like those should both be true, um, especially if we really want to move towards a system where um, people are, are less reliant, need to use their cars less than investing in a really quality public transportation system um, that is fare free, that works reliably, where you have a bus stop where you can sit on a bench and be covered in the rain, mm. that's going to be so critical in order in order for us to really meet that horizon line and meet that vision. Um, just the other day, um, when it actually when it hailed, do you remember when it hailed? I, I, uh, I speaking do. of speaking of climate change, it, when it when it when it hailed, I I saw um, a, a young family on Orange Street just under a small tree as it was hailing. Um, And that's true across the city, um, that we have bus stops um, that don't currently have shelter or a bench for someone to sit on. And I think I get really excited about the opportunity of those kinds of investments to make sure that buses are um, accessible for even more number of people. Um, And uh, kind of adjacent, but uh, just while we're talking about bus stops too, I'm excited about the ways in which those could be public art opportunities as well. Mm. You know, we have an incredible community of artists, artists, entrepreneurs in the city. 
um, and getting sort of the intersection of um, investments in artists and some of our public infrastructure, I think it's really exciting. And bus stops are just, it's already been done a little bit before, um, an incredible artist, Josephine, I know did some incredible art on bus stops, I think in partnership maybe with Makehaven, um, but doing even more of that as we're investing in bus stops, I think it's really exciting. No, no one-stop shop. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for those of y'all who are just joining us, you're listening to Just In Time Conversations, WNH. H FM 103.5 uh, here with Carolyn Smith. Uh, I, I, I guess one of the things that striked me about what you were talking about mm-hmm. is the impact that the city has around infrastructure, yeah. not only mm-hmm. in terms of zoning and in terms of the bid and procurement process mm-hmm. of who yeah. can be doing business in the city. But I, you know, my mind, when you talked about bus stops, mm-hmm. uh, went to the topic of homelessness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so downtown, you know, there are those prolific areas where unhoused people spend time in the bus shelters. And I've seen our bus shelters transform from being less and less hospitable. And so would love to hear your thoughts about housing and, and the growing issues and concerns around housing and and generally you know what you feel should be done and and and, and you've lived here for the last 13 years so does it feel more or less affordable over the time that you've been here yeah Yeah. it's a great question i think it's one of the questions of our lifetime um, absolutely. It it 100% is. I mean, I've been knocking on doors. I've been um, having, you know, small convenings and backyard parties and, and talking to, to neighbors about what they care about. And a lot of the issues that we've already talked about have come up over and over again. Things like how do we design safer streets, et cetera. But one that comes up so much is housing. Um, people saying, I, you know, my rent has increased. I had to, I had to leave my apartment to go to another apartment that was more affordable and not only was that a tough transition for individuals but also the 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 street the the you know the the sort of character of that street changed as a result because a neighbor had to move to another area a neighbor who was connected to other neighbors who knew other people um uh, which i think is so important to a sense of to it's so important to public safety neighbors Mm -hmm. knowing each other um, and that neighbor had to move, and, and how does that how does that change the the nature of a street when someone has to move, especially um, if they had to move because of rent reasons? Um, yeah, I think it's a question of our lifetime. I a, a few thoughts come to mind, and you and I have talked about this. Um, I think one, so I'm, I'm on the I'm privileged to be on the board of Liberty Community Services, which is an incredible organization that um, their their original mission was investing in supporting in support of housing for individuals experiencing HIV and AIDS. Um, and since then, they've expanded um, to a myriad of different sort of chronic conditions. Um, I know that they have been working with a number of different um, housing nonprofits to advocate at a state level for a significant investment um, in our homelessness infrastructure in the state. And that makes so much sense to me. We are We live in one we live in an incredibly wealthy nation an incredibly wealthy state um 
we should make it a priority that any individual living in the city and living in the state has a roof over their head. Huh. Um, that is that is a that is a critical foundational priority and um, part of I think the uh, a pillar of the role of of government is to provide that. And so I've been really inspired by the work of those nonprofits to coordinate and come together and to advocate at a state level for significant level of resources, both in being able to provide more housing, um, but also to support the staff, the incredible staff that work at these organizations, um, mm -hmm. to be able to get raises, to be able to have access to health care, um, and kind of really, again, build the infrastructure of our, of our system. I think as it relates to housing overall, because homelessness and housing are so interconnected as issues. Um, I, I get excited about a few different things. Um, I think one, if, we, if we're moving towards a vision of, of housing as, as a right, um, mm. I get excited about uh, more investments in public housing um, and um, uh, because I think that's, uh, again, I, I believe housing ought to be a right and thinking about our federal level and state level investments in housing such that we have just more available for more number of people, I think is really, really imperative. Um, I also know our vacancy rate is really low in the city. It's something like 2%. Um, and so being able to build more housing across the city, especially thinking about some of the city-owned property that we have right mm -hmm. now in the city and how do we utilize the city-owned property to build more housing, um, especially in particular investing in affordable housing. Um, um, because it's city-owned property, we have, we have a lot of opportunity. We have, we have a lot of leverage and ability to really um, have a vision and say what we want to see there um, and work in partnership with developers to make that happen and see that realized. And so I think thinking strategically about those, those, those lots um, and you know, going back to that set of sort of criteria, you know, what do we want to see here? Mm. Um, what are our goals? Um, I, think is, I think is really exciting. And then lastly, like as we are building more housing in the city, whether it's working with developers on city-owned land um, or other, other lots in the city, um, investment, more investments in public housing, um, how are we making sure that renters especially are protected in that process? 72% of our city are renters. Wow. Um, and you know, building that housing, housing is expensive to build and it's gonna take a long time. It's gonna take a long, it takes a long time to go through the process of, of building that housing. And so how are we making sure that renters are protected in the meantime? Um, that's why I you know, love the work of the Fair Rent Commission that protects renters um, and just make sure that renters have their rights um, through this process of us investing in more development, I think is, is really imperative. Yeah, no, wow. That you're definitely thinking about housing. <laughs> I mean, I'd be curious. I mean, we've talked, we, you and I have talked about this before. I don't know if you have any reflections. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. I, I, I think in general, one of the big questions that all of us have to do is to think regionally. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, I I know plenty of people who live in Hamden who consider themselves part of New Haven, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I think being wedded to community has importance and that, uh, as you said, there's an element of public safety, knowing mm -hmm. your neighbors, being connected. Um, but I think this idea of uh, 
we are so hyper localized uh, that there's no regional cohesion mm. and, and so that's something that i i uh, i'm often curious about like what would that look like yeah. right what does it look like for the stands right the new haven right the west haven the east haven to you know be a haven mm. uh where people feel connected in a sense mm. um and what does that development look like to mm-hmm. to allow for mm-hmm. these communities to have their distinct own vibes mm-hmm. at the same time to not exacerbate mm-hmm. problems in one place or another mm-hmm. where you know gentrification and and and, and uh uh we we see mass displacement mm-hmm. happen mm-hmm. where people move from one distressed community to another mm-hmm. or are on the frontier and you have all these different social issues so that 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 is what i'm often curious about of of what that looks like mm-hmm. and i uh i uh i was sad and depressed watching the john oliver episode where they talked about homeowners associations mm-hmm. and they're like yep 45 percent of new homes have home associate uh, mm-hmm. homeowners associations mm-hmm. and i'm like oh you mean we don't actually own our house <laughs> mm-hmm. but i found joy in the chuck e cheese episode yeah <laughs> i've not seen that one <laughs> it was especially made for us is like millennials you won't own a home so here think about chuck e cheese uh <laughs> um talking about good neighbors right mm-hmm. talking about uh yeah. uh things uh, uh about community yeah. and how we yeah. connect yeah you know what is the role of yale and and to you what does it look like for yale to be a good neighbor uh yeah i, I think the town and gown relations have always been a thing yeah uh but you know as as someone who's going to be in this position what mm-hmm. does that look like to you yeah and what could that look like it's you know, I, I, I said this about housing, and I, I would say this is true. You know, there, I do think there's a few of sort of the some of the most important questions of 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 New Haven's future. Mm-hmm. Um, I think housing is one of them. This is true for multiple cities across um, across the country. And I think I think I think another pillar question is around the Yale and New Haven relationship. And that's actually also true for cities across the country, especially post-industrial cities where a university or a hospital or both have become the major employer and thinking about what needs to be true in order for that relationship to work. Mm. Um, and that's true for cities across the country. My dad grew up in Durham. That's true in Durham. Um, spent a fair amount of Providence. That's true in Providence. And so New Haven, New Haven is, is grappling with that question. And I think, I think there's a lot. Um, I think there's a lot to think about. Um, so a few things come to mind. Um, one is... So the university's role as an educator and as a as a entity that 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 nurtures um, students and supports students. I know for myself, um, as a Yale student who then stayed um, post graduation, I get really really interested um, in you know I think uh, how are we building more spaces where the relationship between a student and a resident isn't about service, but it's about mutuality. 
and I think there's always a role for service. Um, I think public service is amazing um, and important, um, but how are we building more spaces where students and residents can build power together, build mutual relationships and friendship together? Um, and, and how is Yale supporting that um, kind of relationship building? I think is interesting. I think too, and we talked about this earlier when we were just talking about inclusive economic development and supporting small businesses, is Yale as a purchaser. Yale spends a billion dollars every year. Um, and, you know, let's just say 700 million of that could be spent locally. Um, and, and it'd be interesting to think about how much is currently being spent locally and how, how much of it could be spent here. Uh, you said billion, not million. Oh. <laughs> Um, and I, yeah, right. Yeah. And, and I think, and I actually think there's a, I think there's a, a will on the university's front. I mean, I think about the diversity suppliers program and I think building more connections between local businesses, um, and Yale's purchasing and procurement processes and thinking what needs to be true in order for that link to be true such that that purchasing power of the university stays here and benefits residents here and small businesses here I think is really important I think three is Yale as as an employer I mean you know we were just talking earlier about Yale and the hospital being um, two of the major employers in the city um, and being able to hire locally here um, and being able to support New Haven residents to have jobs and really quality jobs in the university and the hospital is absolutely imperative um, and then also Yale as a um, property owner, and there's many different ways to think about that. Um, whether it's you know because you know 60%, I think it's 60% of uh, New Haven's um, property um, is off the tax roll, and some percentage of that is Yale's. And so thinking about what need what you know how does that have an impact on our city budget and our ability to provide quality services mm. uh, and what needs to be true about Yale's um, investment in New Haven um, given the amount of property they own and I would say there's a there's a small piece of that that also goes back to small businesses as well and I actually think there's some interest from the university on this on this front which is thinking about the storefronts that Yale owns and how are we creating pathways for local businesses to have mm. affordable rent in those crucial spaces in downtown um, and creating bridges there, I think is also a piece of the property um, ownership conversation. Um, I could go on, but I think about, I think sort of, I'm trying to think holistically about all the different ways that Yale plays a role as a neighbor, as a hire, as a purchaser, as a property owner, as an educator. Um, and, um, and maybe the actual last thing I'll say is one of my favorite programs is New Haven Promise. And I mm. think that was a real, example of the university and the city really coming together around a shared vision. Um, and I feel like in each of those categories I just mentioned, there is a role, a tremendous role for shared vision um, that I think is really important. And there's been a lot of work on all of those fronts to, to sort of beget that shared vision. Mm. I, uh, it, it, it is Pride Month. Uh, and, and speaking of prides and, yeah. and joys, uh, you know, how how are you feeling locally about our community? And then how are you feeling about the the, the national 
narrative and the national perspective of what it means to to be in community and to be in community as yeah people's full selves yeah um it's a really beautiful question makes me emotional just hearing you ask it um yeah it's a really important pride month um this year i think is a really important pride month um and I know you had asked me to sort of reflect also on kind of what Pride Month needs to be. And I I think it's it's really two main things. I think one is a deep sense of remembrance and gratitude for um, those in the past and also those right now that have been audacious and brave mm. and courageous to make the love that I get to experience visible out loud and, and, and make it really possible. Mm. And I think two is a recommitment to the work that lies ahead to make sure that that visibility, that out loudness is true all the time for all of us. Um, and I think that it clearly a theme of the underbelly of this conversation is around these, these issues that are in a moment of urgency and opportunity. And I think, mm. um, I think LGBTQ issues are we're in a moment of urgency and and opportunity as well. I think you know anti-LGBTQ laws are being passed across the country. Um, it is a really intense uh, and deeply concerning time. Um, and I don't know if the word is opportunity, but I I do have a lot of hope mm. and deep belief in what's possible here in Connecticut and New Haven um, of that I think New Haven can be a, a beacon and can really take a stand on what it means to be a welcoming and safe community for our LGBTQ community. And part of that is personal and part of that is what I see on the personal level. You know, um, I shared this during the pride flag raising that happened mm -hmm. last week um, that the city and the Pride Center put together. Um, you know, this is the city, you know, I came here when I was 17. This is a city where I first came out. Mm. Um, this is the city where I walked down the sidewalk holding hands with another girl for the first time. This is the city where oh. now I get to proudly stand next to the woman that I love. Mm. Um, and I get to do that with pride and dignity. And on that personal level, that gives me a lot of hope, those sort of myriad of experiences that I've gotten to have that, that, that we can that New Haven can be that beacon and can be that light. Mm. And then on a kind of what I see level, I see so many different groups and individuals that are working really hard um, to make sure that that's true. I mean, Juan Carlos's leadership at the New Haven Pride Center is absolutely inspiring. He floors me. Um, he wants the Pride Center um, and his team wants the Pride Center to be a community center right in the heart of New Haven. Mm. Um, and it already is, and he, and he imagines a future that is, I think, incredible, that elevates its vis visibility and presence and its ability to do so. I think about, you know, Kweijo Adai, an incredible mm. artist who painted six, you know, eight-foot-tall portraits in Elm City, Elm City Montessori um, of queer icons, and students get to see that every school day. Um, and then so many different, you know, organizations like the Children of Marsha P. Johnson, Radical Adventure Writers, which I mentioned earlier, 
um, East Rock House, which is a great um, group, an artist collective that supports local artists. Um, I, I look at all that work that's happening and that makes me just incredibly excited and hopeful for what's possible here in the city. Mm. Now that for those of y'all who have joined us, you're listening to Just In Time Conversations, WNHH FM 103.5. Carolyn was just talking about uh, being in community Mm -hmm. and, and, and being in this community. Do you, do you feel, do you think that you would be able to be your full self if you had started your journey somewhere else besides Connecticut, besides New Haven? That's really interesting. Um, I think, I guess the way that I would answer that is there are so many reasons why I fell in love with the city and there's so many reasons why I have felt so taken care of by the city. And I think one was, you know, having grown up in the South and I wasn't out when I was in high school and in middle school. Um, I didn't feel like I could be. But when I came to New Haven, even though there's so much work to do, I felt like I could. Um, yeah. And um, and I think maybe it could be true that I could have experienced that in other cities. Um, but I think there's something special here. I mean, one of speaking of sort of city questions, one of my personal life's questions you know, my mom immigrated here from, immigrated to the United States from South Korea. My dad's parents immigrated from the UK to Durham, North Carolina, and they landed in Kentucky. And I think, you know, one of, um, one of my sister and I's life questions was going to be, where is home? Mm. Um, and, and I, for so many different reasons, including some of the personal reasons we've mentioned, have found that home here. Um, and maybe part of that was just after I, you know, left home and, um, and to me, it was the first place I landed. I was like, all right, here it is. I'm hanging my hat here. Um, but I think there's something special here. And, um, and, and part of that is how many people have supported me. And I feel that in the campaign, just how many people have supported me and invested in me. And, and so I think there's something really, really special about this particular city, um, that has made me, you know, allow myself the room to be able to show up as my full self in whatever role that I've been a part of. Wow. The, uh, as we cl- come to the, the, the end, I uh, get to ask my favorite questions, which are, are you know, how do people connect with you? How do people, yeah. you know, uh, be in community with mm-hmm. you? And then my favorite question is, what's a song that we can remember you by, a song that makes you think of the work or, just something that yeah connects us to you oh interesting well for the first for the first question how you can connect with me is you can email me uh, my email is caroline at caroline tombysmith.com and uh, caroline tombysmith is c-a-r-o-l-i-n-e uh, t-a-n-b-e-e and then smith s-m-i-t-h so caroline at caroline tombysmith.com and then my instagram is at caroline tomby um, and so you can connect with me there. Um, also, if you live in Ward 9, I'm sure we'll see each other just on the sidewalk and walking around because um, that's how the city kind of kind of works. Um, and then with a song, uh, the song that I've been listening to on loop in the last couple of weeks is a song by Justin Esmer 
Um, do you know Justin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he, he was born in Hamden, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's an incredible uh, local artist, incredible uh, Filipino local artist um, who is, he's one of those artists where you play a note of his song. Like I was talking to a friend yesterday. I was like, this song's so good. And I was like, let me just play you a note, just two seconds of it. And immediately you're drawn in and you feel connected to his music. He's so incredibly talented. I first heard Justin um, uh, when I was at Gather. Gather has a, which is in the ward, um, has an open mic every Wednesday. And I just, I was like working. And then I heard like the first few notes of his song. I was like, who is this guy? And then I re-met him at a um, at an art uh, showing by um, East Rock House. And yeah, he's incredible. His uh, The song that I've been listening to on repeat is one of his most popular ones, Deathbed. Um, uh, yeah, Esmer is really amazing. Apparently, he's a good basketball player, too. <laughs> well, shout out to Justin. Uh, Carolyn, thank you so much for being in community with us. Uh, let us continue to plant the seeds of change so that we can grow together. Virginia State, DC make me stimulate, Philly know we penetrate. 
know Jamaica's generate that Saturday to get the pace. They celebrate to my jams in foreign lands. Even your mans in Japan know who I am. And I son, make everybody out in the pond. Say Ichiban, make out man more where you get it from. Phenomenon, excuse me, that's a phone call. It's a show, y'all. Trying to get this dough, y'all. But blow, y'all. Been a pleasure to know y'all. And I'm letting you know, 